Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Andy Staple Show presented by Sling. It's rivalry week, everybody, and it's a big week in the Big Ten. And I got Scott Dockerman here. Ari Wasserman is here. And guys, I need you to help me with something because, Scott, you cover Iowa. You've lived in Big Ten country for, for most of your life. Ari, you covered a Big Ten program for 10 years, even though it's Ohio State, which is really more of an SEC program. But still, <laughs> uh, I, I wrote a, a column on the athletic and it's about how this Michigan Ohio state game has very high stakes, obviously, but it's interesting in the way it shakes out because basically Ohio state can either reinforce the status quo or Michigan can, can say, Hey, look, this league could be up for grabs in the future because perhaps you don't have that prohibitive advantage that you used to have. There's also the added benefit, potentially, if Michigan wins, that maybe the Big Ten gets two teams into the playoff. And man, the commenters got on me about that. They're like, I, w- I, I, I wouldn't expect a guy from the South to understand. We don't want two teams in the playoff. We'd rather go to the Rose Bowl. I'm like, that's stupid. What, what? what are you talking about? Like, is this just... You, would, would, if I were from... Illinois and wrote the same thing. Would you say that? Cause all of those things about the, the big 10 are true, but for whatever reason, if you were born South of the Mason Dixon line or lived most of your life there, you can't possibly understand how those could be good things for the big 10. Yeah, this is a strange reaction. I, I don't, I'm with you. I don't know what that means. I, I think, I think what they're yeah. thinking is, the SEC people get all excited because they get two teams in and you get the SEC, SEC. But really, those are like South Carolina, Mississippi State fans that, that do the, the SEC chant. It's not Alabama and Georgia and LSU because they, they actually want to just win the national title. But it's, it's interesting because it, 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 there was some pushback on it. Like, why wouldn't you want the league to be more up for grabs rather than Ohio State just destroying everybody every year? I don't get that because I, I understood it a few years ago, five years ago, the Rose Bowl complex, because Pasadena at, you know, whatever time it is, uh, Pacific time, when you see the the sun going over the San Gabriel Mountains, it's majestic. It's like it's, the, it's the azaleas at uh, Augusta. However, considering what's kind of happened in two years, which is a lot of us are going to see uh, the Rose Bowl, you know, four, five times a year. Mm-hmm. It's not that big of a deal. And I thought that that finally got out of most of the systems of people, but apparently not. Well, it's, I, I, I'm going to get my Southerner card revoked for this, Scott. I don't think I don't care about the Azaleas in Augusta either. Like, I don't think it's a freaking so, so golf me, course. So, well, Who cares? Listen, yeah. I will say that when I've covered the Rose Bowl, and those mountains turn purple. It is amongst one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It's glorious. Okay, it glorious. so like, to, don't let's let's just make sure that that's understood. 
But if your point of the column, and I admittedly have not read it yet, so forgive me. You're fired. Is <laughs> that people should root for Michigan so that the Big Ten is in a better standing nationally? Is that what you were getting not, at? No, not even a better standing nationally. Because it means the rest of the Big Ten also has a chance. If Michigan can close that gap with Ohio State, it probably means there are other programs that can do that too. Yeah. Penn State would be one. USC should be able when it gets in. Yeah. So that, I think it's an interesting dynamic because I thought last year was a one-off a year because mm-hmm. you can't just beat your rival 100 years in a row. Like, you're going to right. lose. Absolutely. Um, but Michigan is a heck of a lot better this year than I thought they were going to be. I think we all can agree on that, too. And if Michigan goes into Ohio Stadium and beats them for the second consecutive year uh, with a playoff spot on the line, like if you would have asked me two years ago, could Ohio State lose to Michigan two years in a row, I'd be like, it's literally impossible. Um, and I'm very curious to see if the result of this game is going to, like if, if we are analyzing this game wrong because of what happened last year. Because it's possible that if last year never happened, we'd be having this discussion. I'd be going on a star's rant about how Ohio State's Mm -hmm. 15th best player is probably better than Michigan's best player. There's no way they could lose, and we'd be back to where we started. So, But if Michigan wins this game, then that means that Michigan has figured out the formula to beat Ohio State. Because this is a very good Ohio State team, and last year's team wasn't very good. Yeah, this team's better than last year's. This isn't the best team that Ohio State's had by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think this team could beat the 19 team or the 15 team if the 15 team was playing well, the 14 team. But it's a very Mm -hmm. good team. And last year's Ohio State team was probably the second worst since the Urban Meyer era began. So, So like, last year's team was kind of a – like, Michigan got them right where they wanted them. If -hmm. Michigan beats them this year – then that means that there's not a changing of the guard because I still think Ohio State's probably the premier program of that league, but it kind of inspires hope that it can be done when most Michigan fans two or three years ago used to get mad at me for demanding this to be their standard. And I don't even think Michigan has to beat them. I just think this game needs to be competitive. Well, yeah, but I also think that in the Michigan fans' eyes, you got to beat them even when they're good. You've got to make this remake this rivalry. I mean, this this game matters to both fan bases more than any other. I remember a few years ago, uh, I think it was somebody in Omaha wrote that, you know, Ohio State needs to get ready for its rival Clemson. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, they have a clock in, in, in Ohio right. State for, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, but for a bunch of the best decades, you know? Scott, like Clemson was more of a thorn in their thigh, side than Ohio State was. They were losing well, no, matters to them in recruiting. They were losing to them in the playoff. Like, I understand, like, Ohio State's rival will always be Ohio or Michigan. I'm not going to act like that's not always going to be the case. The, the rivalry and what it means to people in Columbus is unlike anything that I've seen elsewhere. And I'm sure it exists that way in Auburn and other places uh, in the sport. But that that town goes absolutely berserk this week. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's amazing. Oh, but it's, Ohio, it's wonderful. But yeah. during the Urban Meyer era, there was a time and place and I still think it exists with a large majority of the fans today of Michigan is so behind us that we are more concerned about beating Clemson and beating Alabama because we're not concerned about the Big Ten and the Rose Bowl anymore. We want to be the top three program or the best program in college football and beating Michigan and winning the Big Ten wasn't enough to do that anymore. And when Urban took over, he took a, a huge look at the South and the SEC and he said, we're going after them. He was obsessed with being and beating Alabama. Right. And he was obsessed with them for two years before they finally did it in 14 and won the national championship. 
Um, and then ever since that point, Ohio State has been stuck in this weird uh, area of better than Michigan and best program in the in the conference, but a program that, despite being built like an SEC team, can't get it done on the on the main stage. And, and this is what I wrote about in the column: is that Urban Meyer got there and didn't even bother looking at the rest of the Big Ten. He, I mean, he made comments at, about well, how they need to step up the day he got hired. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he, and he was one hundred percent right because at that point the Big Ten was I you know I call it like a a, a coffee and cross legs league. <laughs> Where you know the, the you know it's like the coaches got together, they had coffee, they all felt good about themselves, and um, he came in and reinforced it. And that's I actually had a conversation about Ferent with Ferentz about all this, and he said, "Look, the one difference that they did that nobody that Tressel didn't do, and nobody else has done, is he went globally with his recruiting mm-hmm. as opposed to just we're going to get the best players in Ohio and dabble in a few other places." Right. And, but it's but it left a lot of good leftovers in that part of the world too, mm-hmm. and the problem is with Michigan that when he got hired, it coincided with the, one of the worst eras in Michigan history. When you've got Brady Hoke, you got um, you know Rich Rodriguez. I mean that sent him back significantly, and so it wasn't until Harbaugh got there and you know fifteen and sixteen when they were still they were pretty good, but they just didn't have the playmakers to match up with Ohio State. And now what I think it does, Andy, and I think you're right on this, is if Michigan can go out and do it again, it can show that, okay, there is a talent disparity between Ohio State and everybody else in the league. But the difference is you can make up for that talent disparity by going to the transfer portal because they got an outstanding center out of it. And two, mm-hmm. your development can make the difference. Right. And right. if they can do Which- that... Everybody else can too. Has or not. strained my eyes whenever I've heard that. And I wrote a. Remember the. What was the uh, Michigan Ohio State game that you and I went to together, Andy, where you re- ridiculed me for putting ketchup on my chicken fingers? It was either eighteen or nineteen. It could have been. It could have been. It both was the one in Ann Arbor. Uh, oh, okay, uh, then that was nineteen. Nineteen. And after that game was over, and I think that was my last year on the beat. I wrote a column, and it was one of the most read stories I've written for the Athletic about how Urban Meyer killed the rivalry. And the reason why I wrote that is because the talent disparity between the two schools had been wider than ever before, and Michigan was never going to be able to out-tough Ohio State ever again. And that <laughs> is wrong, did. Yeah. but if Michigan is to beat Ohio State again, mm-hmm. then that, to me, is a major issue for Ohio State because you should not be able to recruit the way that they're recruiting and beat them in consecutive years with what they have on their roster. Well, so and, like to and, and that, that, that brings up another comment from under my column that I thought was really interesting. And it was from an Ohio state fan. Basically this game is a referendum on Ryan day. Well, I think that there's a lot, if Ohio state loses this game, there will be a lot of discussions amongst the fan in the fan base about whether he's the guy or not. Because I will say that it is an admirable thing to think. Well, look, oh, and I, who was that guy that was in our comments? This one, uh, two weeks ago, um, on Saturday night at midnight, somebody wrote, "Ohio State is built to put up fifty-five on Michigan State, and Michigan's yes. built to beat Ohio State." Yeah, like if that is true, like if that's actually what's happening, then you have a major problem in Columbus because Ohio State is supposed to be built like Alabama, well, where and, they and have it, insane athletes and insane linemen that will mush your bones into yeah. dust there's no like they're not like the fact that ohio state is viewed by some and, and they were last year a finesse team means that there's something going wrong in the recruiting process because well, and, this isn't supposed to happen and history tells us you're not allowed to beat everybody else and lose to michigan john cooper says hi and the like thing he, that really irritates me is that like 
what Michigan it doesn't irritate me. I think it's interesting in the in the dialogue about recruiting is what Scott just said of you can get a few guys in the portal and you can be out developing Ohio State and you can outgrit them. And Andy, we talk about it on the show all the time. You're not supposed to be able to do that. Well, and if you are able to do that, it's a problem with the team that is loaded, not right. a gesture of how great you are. That's right, not the, the right plan for Michigan. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Ricky Geiger in our live chat. He says, this is going to be like Georgia, Tennessee. Ohio State lost one time and everybody thinks Michigan is on that level. Just like Tennessee beating Bama made people think they could hang with the big boys. He continues, of the best 10 players that get drafted in this game, let's say the next two years, how many of them are on Michigan? Two, maybe? And that is an interesting point because I will point out who was the best player on the field in last year's game? It was on Michigan's team. He was Aiden Hutchinson. Right. So, and that's probably the first time in 10 years that's been the case. Right. Yeah. Is the best player on the field on Michigan's team in this game? It's not. Right. That's that's where it's maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. I, I think they might. If you did the player ranking, Scott, you, you're really good at this. You tell me, Scott. Mm-hmm. If you took JT Tuimaloau, CJ Stroud, Marvin Harrison – and you put them one, two, three. Is there a Michigan player that you would take over any of those three players? Are you talking about for the draft or just overall? Just know? in I mean, general, college football picking players. A football, if you're I, picking a football team. Here's the thing, though. Blake Corum is the highest graded Not player bigger. in college football right now. By Do you PFF. think Blake Corum is better than those players? Not better than Marvin Harrison. Nobody's better than Marvin Harrison. He's not going to go to New York, which is a shame because he might be the best player in college football. Well, R- Ricky says Blake Corum is, is good, but NFL-wise, he's not relevant. But this isn't... We're not talking about the draft All here. we care about is whether Blake, or not he's Blake a good Blake Corum is a player. really good college running back, and when Blake Corum is healthy and, and contributing, he makes Michigan's offense a very tough offense to stop. Now, we don't know how healthy he is. That is a legit question. Nor do we know how healthy Ohio State's two best backs are. Exactly. I mean, with Williams and Anderson, they're down to... Uh, of course... But here's the difference between Ohio State and everybody else, including exactly. Michigan. They throw out number three, true freshman running back, and he runs wild. Now, it was against Maryland. But still, they their talent at the number three running back is better than number one for most people. And so I, I Blake Corum, to me, is fantastic because he's a difference maker. And that offensive line is better this year than it was last year when it won the Joe Moore Award. So that's their best punch. Uh, but I do want to see what's J.J. McCarthy do when he's in trouble. What does he do? Yeah. You know, Because Ohio State will we've, put them into adverse situations. We, we've yet to see J.J. McCarthy have to throw Michigan to a win. And I think that's – and J.T. Tumalau, I think he may be the best player on the field, to be honest. He, he might not be right now, but he will be by the end of next year. Yeah, it's sort of like the Harold Perkins thing at LSU. Yeah. Like, just sort of scratching the surface of, of what, what they, they're going to And then just be. the average player on Ohio State is better than the average player uh, now, I on will Michigan's say, roster. So – it, I we probably should throw out last week for both teams. Both teams struggled mightily with teams that they should have beaten by more. But like with so Michigan, last week, I think is interesting, Andy, because I think that you could make the case that Michigan's struggles were a result of losing their best player, and Ohio State's were just Michigan played with a without a lot of their best players though. Like if if it sounds like Luke Schoonmaker is going to be back for this game, that's a big safety valve. Yeah, for McCarthy in their offense. Mike Morris didn't play. That's their best pass rusher. And and the, you've you've heard me preach this yeah. all year. Get pressure on C.J. Stroud, and you have a chance. If you if you don't, you have no chance. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, I saw him up close and he struggled for a while. And, um, you know, and, and if that's the case this year, like last year, then I think Michigan has a decent chance. But, uh, you know, I, the talent for talent, it's all Ohio State. But it's about can Michigan out-tough them, out-bully ball them. And they tried that with Illinois, and Illinois is in that same realm. They're not the same talent, but Chase Brown is an, an equal, if you will, of Blake Corum. So, uh, that, and he got hurt too, but... That and I also look at the Maryland Ohio State game. Mm-hmm. You know that was not a very good game by the by the Buckeyes. But every nobody had a good game last week. I mean, look how many no. upsets there were. No, nobody in college. You're exactly right, Scott. This that was a get through it. And I I do think for both of these teams, they were trying to get into this game as healthy as humanly possible. But again. Travion Henderson in a boot at the end of the Maryland game. C.J. Stroud's limping at the end of the Maryland game. Jim Harbaugh on Monday, pretty tight-lipped on what anybody's going to be, whether it's Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards. We don't know what they're going to be. If they have Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards and they're both healthy, then that's a scary offense. Yeah, I think that the spread is two scores for a reason. Um, And it was, I think, last year, too. So, you know, but this game is on the road. And I'm very much on high alert to see whether or not there's a return to normalcy here. Right. You know, because that to me is, I think a lot of let's, let's try to do this. If last year's game didn't happen, Mm -hmm. how would we be viewing this now? Ohio state by 20. Right. So that to me is interesting because what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? Last year happened and they had two NFL players, including a top five pick on their defensive line that aren't there anymore. Right. So why are we, we need to stop assigning value to last year's game and we have to start valuing what we're going to get on Saturday. And I think that there is a chance that Ohio state loses because they got out muscled again. But I think there's probably a better chance that Ohio state wins 44 to 17. Well, and, and like that's, so that's on the, the table. The, is Julian Fleming going to take a crossing route and turn it into a 60 yard game? Cause that's what happened in the, in 2018, and 2019, when they just got their doors blown off, was Ohio State took advantage of those mismatches and just made them look silly. Now, that part of the reason Harbaugh had to revamp his staff was because of those games. Right. You know, he brought in Mike McDonald. They installed that Ravens defense. They're still running it under Jesse Mentor. So that's what I, I kind of want to see. Like the first time we see Julian Fleming on a crossing route, does he get tackled for a six yard gain or does he break it loose? Because that'll tell us everything. And you also have to consider this, too. Like, Ryan Day is a very mild-mannered person at the podium and on the sidelines. And I think a lot of people might just guess or think that he doesn't have much of a backbone because he's not very uh, animated. That man has been physically, emotionally, and spiritually obsessed with Michigan for the past 365 days. Oh, if if Harbaugh said that about me, I would be, too. Yeah, and what Harbaugh said, he reorganized the defensive staff. JT Tumaloa has emerged as one of the best defensive linemen in the country, and he paid a coordinator $2 million a year to fight what Michigan does. And Michigan's going to come into the game doing the thing that they've been preparing for for a year. So if Michigan is able to push Ohio State around and Blake Horm rushes for 175 yards and they win a game where their quarterback doesn't have to make a play for the second consecutive year, then you have to really question whether or not the right coach is the head coach at Ohio State. And that's like the scariest thing in the world to say because you never would have thought about that a year ago. He's lost one regular season Big Ten game. One. Yeah, and if it's two and they're both the same opponent, that's a problem. I know, I know. But I'm just saying... 
This is the fourth season as his fourth season as their coach. And they've played in the national title game. One regular season picked in game. But but I this is and this is where my my friends in the comments section who are criticizing me because of where I'm from. SEC thought process. Exactly. (laughs) I understand that mentality completely. If you didn't win the national title, you failed. But it's not even about the national championship. I think if you were coming up short. Because your other, your biggest rival in the country outgridded you for two years in a row, it's, despite it's not a being built that yeah. way. There's a problem, a fundamental issue within the program, right? That that wasn't fixed with a year's notice. It's a different program. It, d- defensively, it's completely different. the The way they're attacking is different. The toughness that they've showed last year versus this year, um, just completely different at Ohio State. And and Michigan has been smart too, because as you talked about, Andy, those past games, Don Brown had an arrogant style about him. Let's just cover let's cover these crossing routes with single coverage. Oh yeah. my god, you're going to get killed. That's why they give up 60 some odd points. Yeah, yeah. If, if if that guy is faster than that guy, you can't you can't play man. You can't you, you have great linebackers but they can't yeah. catch what they can't catch. So I want you to I, highlight Lester Lee up here. Oh yeah. Gotcha. Is this year's talent gap smaller than the the 16 OT game? That's the funniest thing because people always talk about the o, the 16 o, OT team. And Ohio State uh, got their butts kicked that year in the playoff, right? Right, right. That was the worst Ohio State team since 2012. And that team was ranked fifth in the composite rankings, which is the lowest it's ever been ranked at any point since 2012. And that year, Michigan, I believe, was eight. So the difference was a three-spot difference. And this year was the smallest gap. Yeah. It was the smallest gap there yeah. is. Now it's three to 15 or yeah. 14, which right. is an 11 spot gap. And when you look at the teams that are in between them, um, it's actually quite big. So here's the thing that I wanted to make a comment about, which is, uh, you know, about that talent gap is JJ McCarthy was supposed to be the equalizer of this. Right. When Michigan made this quarterback change, he was supposed to be putting in the five-star guy who can make things happen on his own, who could, do incredible things in the passing game. He's supposed and lift to be Caleb Williams up. or Drake May. And I think, yes. Yeah. And I think that the fact that he is not Drake May yet has created more of he's a liability thought process when we should be talking about J.J. McCarthy being a difference maker. And the question is, is could J.J. McCarthy be a difference maker in this game or do they have to hide him the way that they would have had to hide Cade McNamara last year? I don't think oh. they have to hide him. I think they what they might have to run into is the only way they win is cut him loose and hope it works out. We haven't seen him had to be cut loose yet. We right. don't we don't know what it looks like if you say JJ go in this game. We've never seen yeah. that. I mean this team the way it plays and it works and it's the easiest style of football which is hand the ball to the guy who can run for 250 yards per game and you have the best offensive line against everybody you face. Uh, they're better than their defensive lines. And that's worked. It's worked well in every single game. That's not going to be the case on Saturday. They can't. He can run for 100 yards, but it might be at three and a half to four yards a carry. So he's going to have to make plays. Now, Drake May, he throws it all over the yard. That's great. McCarthy hasn't had to do that. He's going to have to do that on Saturday, or right. it will be at minimum a two-touchdown two differential. Guys, here's what I think is so exciting about this. And, and why Michigan's win last year was so significant. We spent 23 minutes talking about this game. It's very exciting. If Michigan hadn't won last year, we would have spent two minutes and we would have said Ohio State by 20 
And we'll talk to you next year about it. And this is the internal debate that I've had with Ohio State fans for much of the past 10 years is as much as it stings for them to lose to Michigan, you kind of have to root for them to be good because the sport is better as a result of this game being important. Like I I covered so many of these games that were just 30-point blowouts that just were afterthoughts. This game game has incredibly high stakes. And news conferences that we had to force hatred in. And it's just like, actually, there is hatred right now. Yeah. And that's what this is about. And I think that, you know, for the most part, if Ohio State were to win this game, uh, it would probably be the most gratifying win over Michigan that they've had since 06. Um, and if Michigan wins this game, then there's a huge statement being made about the the rankings of where programs belong in the Big Ten and whether or not Ohio State's in danger of losing their spot at the top. Yeah, and, and you know, you know who you know who does one of these is rubbing his hands together like, oh boy. Behind the Link, tree. Lincoln Riley. <laughs> if 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 Michigan can beat Ohio State and and show that that gap doesn't mean as much, Lincoln Riley can go. Well, guess what? When I get there, there won't even be a gap. Well, if he goes to Minnesota in the middle of November, there will be a gap. Between Wait, what, what are you talking about? Like, like in the playoff? You mean? <laughs> no, I'm talking about when I get when Lincoln Riley gets to the Big Ten in two years. Oh, sorry. I was I, I honestly forgot they were going there. That's how weird <laughs> yes. that move is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I thought you meant like when they play Ohio State. No, I mean, when, I mean yeah. when they get to the Big Ten. Oh, I'm sure. Presuming that Lincoln Riley's recruiting will be to the point that. Yeah. Well, I think that Lincoln Riley was the Big Ten's best chance of neutralizing Ohio State, even more so than Michigan. And like the thing about it is like even if Michigan wins this week. This plan that you guys are talking about of get good players in the portal that can help, you know, supplement weaknesses and out tough them is not a consistently a consistent winning plan. No, like that's not something it's that not you're going to do to sustain the, li- the rivalry for 15 years. Yeah, because eventually the ta- like the talent might not win out this year. It didn't win out last year, but eventually over the long run, the talent will win out. Right. Um, and I just I'm wondering, like for me if Michigan is supposed to use this two year window of success to, um, to advance in the recruiting rankings to a place where they're bringing in a cell, a similar caliber athlete, or does it allow Penn state to pick off one or two from Ohio state? Does it allow what, you know, the Michigan, the the Mel Tucker things blowing up in Michigan state's face right now, but the idea is he's supposed to, to upgrade. Ohio state doesn't really even recruit against these guys very much. Not yet. Like Ohio State's down there recruiting with with, with final fours of A and M, LSU, and Bama. Like they're not they're not there's a, like Julian Fleming is from Pennsylvania, you know, and there are certain guys that they want in Pennsylvania and Jersey that Penn State's in on, but there aren't a lot of battles that Ohio State's like in Florida and Ari, Texas and Ari, California. What, I, that, what haven't I explained this a million times about Kirby Smart and Nick Saban? It's not about beating them for everyone. It's about beating them for about two to three a year. Oh sure, yeah, right, yeah. And I think that would mean that they would have to go a hundred percent in their in their conversion total to do that because I think they're only in two or three battles a year with these guys. I don't mean two or three. I don't mean Penn State has to beat Ohio State for two or three years. I mean everybody has to beat Ohio State. Yeah, everybody. I know. and then over everybody the not of- Alabama, not not you know LSU, and it's it's possible. And as Scott pointed out, there there's an equalizer situation going on with the portal being able to grab somebody and plug them in and play right away, getting the, you know, the older person who can, who can contribute. Uh, Olu Oluatimi is the guy yeah. this year for Michigan. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's fascinating because it's changing. Now and the question you have to ask yourself too, is if college football is genuinely or generally not 
as dominant at the top as usual this year because the transfer portal's already played out. I think that's part of it, but I, I still think a big part of that is a COVID year where it allowed teams to get old, stay old. And the teams like Ohio State, like Alabama, where the guys were going to the NFL after three and four years, they still lost those guys. But yeah. other programs did not lose everybody they would have lost. And I, so I, when, when those guys wash out, because that's, that's all going to come out in the wash here in the next couple of years, I do wonder if we see the dominant powers rise a little bit after that, or is the portal situation causing them to, to get pulled back to the mat, to, to the pack. So, well, we just talked Ohio state and Michigan, the winner of that game has to play somebody in the big 10 title game. And that somebody may be the team that Scott covers. That's right. The Iowa Hawkeyes <laughs> can win the big 10 West by beating Nebraska on black Friday. They're doing this because they beat Minnesota and because Illinois lost to Michigan. But Scott, I got to ask you, you were up in Minneapolis for that game. It was really, really cold. What's that feel like? <laughs> yeah, it was the second coldest game in stadium history for college football. Which is saying something for, for, yeah. for Minnesota. Right. The only one was the Dilly Bar game against Ohio State that was colder, but the wind chill And was I was at that one, so I'm going to tell right. you about it when you're done. I was at that yes. one. And I've lived through this type of experience a lot, but I'll tell you what, when you go out on that field and you feel that wind whip through you and it's minus one, minus two with the wind chill, it hits different in Minnesota, <laughs> you know, even more so than the plains of Iowa. It is just like, oh, it takes your breath away. It feels like, you know, frozen needles attacking you. So uh, to see the wind whipping and uh, the players trying to work out. It was funny to watch the Gophers all take on, on the field. There's like a, a group of them. I think they're the linebackers all taking their shirts off, running around in pregame. And I'm like, you're not psyching out anybody, dude. <laughs> the other team's going to go. Not anybody from right. Iowa. If you're, if, you're playing, if you're playing Florida State, maybe. But yeah. <laughs> not if you're playing Iowa. I remember exactly. in 14, uh, I went to the Mall of America with Doug Lamarice and Bill Landis the night before. We watched Dumb and Dumber 2. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. And I've never been more disappointed in a movie in my <laughs> entire life. Yeah. But um, I will say that when we landed in Minneapolis, um, it was fine. And like they do a good job of having indoor tunnels. But the we walked out of the hotel the Friday of on the way to the Mall of America. And I'll never forget this. But the wind, as the automatic doors opened, hit me in the face. And it was by far the coldest gust of air I've ever felt. And it was almost physically painful, <laughs> painful. Um, and then we went to the game the next day and we saw the Dilly bar thing. And I was just like, God. And like, also I would watch an unsolved <laughs> mysteries episode of how JT Barrett had an 80 yard touchdown run in that game uh, with a DB running side by side with him for 60 yards. Like go watch the replay of that touchdown. I've never seen a slower, person run for that long with a DB in chase uh, in my entire. So that like, I, there must've been like a angels in the outfield scenario going on there. Uh, but man, that was the coldest day of my entire life, Scott. Like, and I've been in cold weather before, you know, I've been in New York in the winter. I've been in Chicago in the winter. That was the coldest I've ever been. It's different. And the coldest I've ever been was when I walked from the basketball arena to a hotel about a quarter of a mile away in mid-January, and it was literally 25 degrees below zero. Oh. And it was 
the misery just doesn't even you know begin to describe how bad of a short walk that was. But uh, the other day wasn't that bad considering. But my God, I mean, when the wind is going out there, you just you felt for the players on the field. I mean, it, it, to try to go. Could you imagine that. getting hit down there in that? No, no, or <laughs> or trying to catch a ball. I, I mean, I guess most of the receivers were in gloves, but but if of you're course, trying to catch the ball barehanded. That it feel like catching a frozen turkey, basically. Iowa won that game though because that is where Iowa thrives, and Iowa is going to destroy Nebraska on Saturday. But that that didn't look like a typical Iowa game, Scott. Like they got run all over. Yeah, they did. And it was the defense creating turnovers at the most opportune times that saved their butts. <laughs> Say that again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> save their butts. Really? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, you know it was, and and you know well. Mo Ibrahim is very underrated. I I've called him yeah. beast mode for like all six years that he's been there because he just has this physical way about him where he hit he could he's he's like a, a mouse where he squirts through a little hole and then he just pops right through it and you can't get a good grip on him and he always falls forward. He's never really fallen back and that was the most yards Iowa gave up to a single running back since 1993. You know, so it was just, you know, 263 yards or whatever it was. And but then at the end, his 14th carry in a 16 play drive, Jack Campbell, All-American linebacker, pops him and forces a fumble. Then then a series later, he intercepts a ball, which if this was if this wouldn't have mattered, if they would have gone to overtime and lost, would have been one of the biggest blunders in Big Ten history. He returns it 77 yards for a touchdown, but the but the line judge calls him out of bounds at the 45, and he's not out of bounds. They blow the whistle. And I'm like, why are you blowing a whistle? You're probably going to rip your lip off. It's so cold out here. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, they didn't call a single penalty for the first time in a game since 1986, which they is They were cold. They wanted to get the hell out of there. And, and there was more holding going on than than there is uh, at a wedding, you know. So, I mean, it was it was <laughs> crazy. But but still. When I'm that, at the wedding, they're holding on to me, though, because I'm fly. Oh. Yeah, you're pretty fly for <laughs> the white guy. We lost a lot of good men out there that day. Yeah. Playing for the Yankees? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> unruly trade uh, wait no uh, bad trades and unruly fans like i said i don't want to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> so scott th- this black friday game which i i i'm now just envisioning the nebraska the sean eichhorst attempt to stop playing this game on black friday <laughs> like, but this is this is a chance for iowa to I guess shove our, all our faces in it. Like they, they're going to win the Big Ten West. They're going to play for the Big Ten title. It's still not the prettiest offense in the world, but my guess is though they're going to look okay against Nebraska. They probably will. I mean, their first two drives they scored against them, and then their best player got hurt, hurt his knee, and mm-hmm. Sam Laporta. And if he's not going to able to play, then it's going to bring them down to the field even more so. But you know, there's a couple different lines that you could think of with this team. I mean, we've talked about their offensive challenges all season long, and it's and it's it was funny, and then it wasn't, and now it's kind of like what what really happened here? But I, I think really what you look at is, damn, the resiliency of this team is pretty freaking amazing. Because to be the way that it was, to get annihilated at Ohio State and to have your, you know, you had Doug on and we've had those same questions regarding, uh, you know, nepotism and your program. And and yet all you do is you go out and you, you beat, you know, four straight division rivals by, what was it, uh, 94 to 36 and your defense is playing like this. I mean, 
it says something about the coaching staff that he didn't lose the players. And it says something about the defense and special teams and the offense to an extent that they're not willing to give up. So are they in the same ballpark? Not this year as a, as a Michigan or Ohio state, certainly not Ohio state, but I do think that it, it shows that this is a pretty tough minded team and you got to kind of give them a salute for that. And now imagine they had a good offense. Exactly. <laughs> Cause they could, they could beat a Michigan or Ohio state if they had an adequate offense. They could. Right. Well, you know, six years ago when they beat, you know, that it was the strangest game ever when they beat yeah. Ohio State. But they did have three first-round draft picks on offense. You know, two tight ends at a tackle. And and they had some other, you know, Alaric Jackson was starting in the NFL as a tackle. So they had the players and a quarterback who threw 68 touchdown passes. So. And Ohio State went into that game without game planning how to cover a tight end, which is fascinating. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, the thing that's, that's crazy to me um, – more than anything is that like this is a reinforcement of how great of a coach Kirk Ferentz is in my opinion like we have ragged on him a lot and we have laughed at Iowa's uh you know situation this year but the man has consistently produced you know yep. there's no question about it and the thing that is so tough for me to swallow is that like you said if he wasn't stubborn in this one area like Iowa's team would potentially be in the top 10 of the college football playoff rankings right now. Yeah. It's like, even if you go back and you look at the Iowa's loss 54 to 10 to Ohio state, how many of those points were the offense's fault? 27 of them. Like, I think that it is a legitimate thing that if they had a solid offense that could move the ball, at least and get first downs, that Ohio State would only manage to score 31 or 34 points on them right. at the and, most. And they, would, they would have beaten Iowa State. They would have beaten Illinois. The Michigan game would have been incredibly close. You know, it's just, I mean, at the very least, I think that they would be 9-2 and two right now. Yeah. yeah. No question. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of things bottomed out for this team this year. The offensive line is really, really young. I mean, their, their 18 and 19 classes either bombed or were all injured. In the offensive line, so they're starting guys who are all three or three or second year guys. So they they've really struggled there. Wide receiver, you lose Charlie Jones to Purdue because your offensive scheme isn't up to date. Then you know with Charlie Jones, they probably win those two games that they lose. So they you know you but then you also combine the fact that the scheme is not relevant to winning big championships. You can win division championships, but not the Big Ten championship, not get to the playoff. And so they need to really revamp that. But uh, but I do think you've got to give him credit because, again, we've seen it so many times. Teams three and four, they lost three straight games, got blown off the field. Everybody's making fun of them. Everybody's, you know, uh, it, it, it's the worst possible situation. And yet to turn it around mentally and fight. And this game, they were, they were bruised. They were battered against Mo Ibrahim, yet they found a way to win. And, and they did that against Wisconsin and Purdue on the road and now and, and Northwestern at home, which, I mean, that's not saying much, but, but I think if they, if they do win the division though, I think it's one of those where you, you look at Kirk Ferentz go, man, you can coach because your team didn't give up. And that's really right. Pretty, the thing that I think is so funny about this last Iowa win too, is that they gave up 260 yards of rushing offense to the other team. And the final score was still 13 to 10. <laughs> like it was like, no matter what happens in between those, the start and finish of an Iowa game, like you're always going to end at the same destination. <laughs> the reason we do the Iowa total in every pick show. And will we do the Iowa and Nebraska total in this pick show as well? 
But, but I, do you think they're going to cover? I know this is an early for the pick show, but like I think that they are going to cover the spread and beat the crap out of Nebraska. On, I think on you're probably right. Friday. Stagat, are you with me on that? You think they're going to get it done? or I think they can either cover or it's going to be so close you don't know who's going to win until the very end. Because it seems like under Scott Frost, like all four games were right down to the very end, uh, even though the, the team wasn't very good. Uh, so I don't know if, if they're going to flex, if Nebraska is going to try to flex its rivalry muscles or if Nebraska is going to say, you know what, let's just get this thing over with. You know, they lost the other day by one point to uh, Wisconsin. If Iowa does what it needs to do in the first quarter, this game won't be close. And it's like funny it, because you would think on the surface that Iowa's style of play is a, a sloppy Nebraska kryptonite like you if you're a sloppy team that loses one possession games all the time yeah going against a team that's technical like go just no didn't have a penalty in the game yeah and punts with pre- precision that you would get out of a sniper scope I mean like it's like the last thing that you would want to face so like I personally think that with the rejuvenation of the way that they've been playing and Indianapolis right on the line um, you should get your St. Elmo reservations all, all set up and, and get your hotel going because you're Harry going to Harry and Izzy's out. has the yeah. same shrimp cocktail, yes. and sometimes they have the spinatus steak, which is the best cut of steak that you can possibly I get. I went to Harry and Izzy's last time, and I still said I went to St. Elmo. Isn't it the same business? It, it, it yeah. They're sister restaurants. So, they're owned yeah. by the same person. It's the same ingredients. Yeah, and, and okay, like so. it is the same shrimp cocktail. Yeah, yes, and yeah. So, so what, it's just harder to get a table at St. Elmo. That's, that's pretty much all it is. And that is your Indianapolis food guide. But we got to talk food when we come back because Thanksgiving is but a few days away now. And we're going to have our Thanksgiving side draft. We're going hokey drive time radio on you. But guess what? We have experts in the field, unlike weenie in the butt in the morning. So... We're gonna we're gonna weenie go. in the butt. <laughs> yeah, I, I stole that from Family Guy. I know I, you did. I, I'm, I'm, weenie I, in the butt. <laughs> so, so, but we gotta we gotta have the draft. I I didn't even think about a draft order. Let's just say Ari Scott and then me, and we'll snake it five rounds. Thanksgiving sides. Ari Scott. Just trying to think of like I know exactly what you want. Oh, number you're, one. you're a great drafter. When when we had our. Uh, five restaurants that you can only eat from for the rest of your life, and you went Cheesecake Factory. I felt like Bill Belichick during that. It was incredible. <laughs> we'll talk about it when we come back. Now time for the Thanksgiving side draft. That's right. It's like drive time radio, except better. <laughs> we are going to figure out who has the best plate at the end of this. You, you get the like the... Uh, so the first time my wife had Thanksgiving dinner with my family, we uh, we use paper plates. And if we're feeling fancy, chinette. And, you know, you do the, like the chinette platter where you can get as much as humanly possible onto one, you know, vessel. Huge plate. Yeah. yeah. But she was just horrified. She's like, you don't use real plates? Now, flash forward over 20 years and we barely use real plates at home on normal days. Like, we use paper plates all the time. I want you to want to do the dishes. No, I, I am with you. I, uh, I, I'm, it's a battle that I have in my household quite often of when to use paper plates and when to use actual plates. And I'm pro paper plate every time because I just want to throw stuff in the trash and be left alone after dinner. Um, but, okay, so we have to set up some parameters here. Okay. Andy. Yes. Because you know that there are certain situations where you could say something general 
and that mm-hmm. takes away other things that are in that a category. Whole, like a whole category, understood. So like, for instance, and I don't want to give away anything, but I, we all know who the, like, is cornbread in the roll family? Oh, cornbread is its own thing. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna give us a bread, it has to be a specific bread. So you can't just say rolls. It can be a specific kind of rolls, but not rolls. Right. Okay. And mashed potatoes, there are other types of potatoes. So if you take mashed potatoes, you could still take another potato dish. Later. Oh, you could absolutely take potatoes au gratin or like a like a hash kind of dish. Any yeah, that that's Scallop all still potatoes. On the table. Absolutely, it's still on the table. Yes. Okay. Stuffing's number one for me. And I had a hard time with that because I know you're going to take macaroni and cheese. And I well, thought that there was a chance that stuffing could fall to the second round. But, like, I don't know if you could even have a Thanksgiving plate without it on it. Here's the weird thing about meat. And so, like, where I come from, it's dressing, not stuffing. and Whatever you want to call it. Well, no, yeah. but it's it's cooked in a dish as opposed to cooked in a turkey, like in the cavity of the turkey. I like stuffing when it's cooked in, the, like, the the actual cooked in the cavity of the turkey stuff. I like them both. And, but it's actually probably not my favorite thing and probably would have fallen to somebody much later. Can I say dressing slash stuffing? Like, oh, is absolutely. That, okay. Yeah, because I, I think I, I think it's it's generally the so same here's thing, the thing in terms that, of that I need to t- what say, and I want to know your yeah. opinion on this, is that I like macaroni and cheese better than anything. Mm-hmm. I think macaroni and cheese is the best thing that you can eat on Thanksgiving. But as it pertains to what my plate is going to be as in the Thanksgiving As you're planning round, it out, yeah. You have to have stuffing in the mix because that – I think stuffing is Thanksgiving. See, but I can do without it. Hmm. That's I, – I told Scott, you how weird. Would either of you taken stuffing in the first round if I didn't take it? I would have taken it. I was fi- I was figuring it was going to be that one was going to be my pick. Okay, so I'm happy right, so I what, did it. What, do you, what yeah. do you have, Scott? What, yeah, what's your number I mean, one? The one thing I will say is stuffing and dressing kind of is – goes in between in where I live, kind of the southeast Iowa, Illinois area, a lot of family. It's kind of interchangeable, so uh, it, it works both ways. I'm going with mashed potatoes. All right. Uh, mashed potatoes are the, uh, you know, the, the, the cleanup hitter. The Iowa hitter. football of sides. <laughs> the cleanup hitter of baseball on Thanksgiving. So, yes, you've got to have mashed potatoes next to your stuffing slash dressing uh, to make it a real Thanksgiving dinner. I am going with the king of all sides, mac and cheese. It is the best side un- <laughs> under any circumstance, on any day of the week, any day of the year, any holiday, any occasion. Macaroni and cheese is the best side. And I I stole a recipe from, uh, it's the Clarkston Union Mac and Cheese, Clarkston, Michigan. I had it at Union Woodshop, which is their sister barbecue restaurant when I was up up there covering, a, I think it was the NCAA basketball tournament, was at Auburn Hills. And... This is this. I, I put it in my mouth. Like this is the best mac and cheese in the history of the planet. It is so good. I've been. I, I found their recipe on the internet. I've been making it ever since. I don't do it justice. Like if you if you get a chance, if you are you know north of Detroit on I seventy five and have a chance, Clarkston Union or Union Woodshop, they both serve the mac and cheese. It's incredible. Like I, I cannot recommend that enough. But mac and cheese. I've had people argue with me, like, it's not a Thanksgiving side. It doesn't matter. It's the best thing available. But this is the thing about this draft that will determine who wins. I'm putting together a a Thanksgiving plate, and you're putting together the best possible plate with dishes that happen to be at Thanksgiving. I'm Ohio State, yes. I am putting together (laughs) the best collection of athletes. (laughs) (laughs) What what am I, then? You're you're Jim Harbaugh. Oh, boy. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm Jim Harbaugh weird. So I guess that makes sense. All right. So you have All another right. pick then? So I get I get another pick. I will take Parker House rolls. And so Ari, do you remember when we went to snack bar in Oxford? Of course. No, I forgot. <laughs> they they made just an incredible version of Parker House rolls there with fresh butter. It was, it was incredible. But those are the, these are the ones that are kind of clumped together that you have to pull them apart. I love those. And you just load them up with butter and and you can just see this is the problem with my plate. So I pile on the turkey and the different sides and then I just put as many Parker House rolls as I can on it. It's it's very, you know, it's very tricky to move with it afterward because it all might come tumbling down. I think I won the draft already because I already right. have that planned well, out. Well, Scott, Scott's got the next pick. No, I know, but I, I think he's going to blow it. I can just tell by his face the way he's he's kind of – he's contemplating, and that means panicking. You know those people that you go to dinner with and have oh. the menu in front of them, and they you. know what they want to order, yes, and they when you ordered a, Yeah, when you ordered a panini, and I ordered a lamb shank. Yes, I remember that. I'm going with the king of desserts, and that's pumpkin pie. Because because I'm not a pumpkin spice guy. I'm not a pumpkin latte guy, but damn it, I'm a pumpkin pie guy. Nothing wrong with that. I'll eat that 10, 11 months a year. So that doesn't go on your primary plate. Oh, it does on mine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what you're missing. There Uh, are no rules on Thanksgiving. There are no rules. You're right. Okay. That's fine. All right. So I get. So I'm going to stick with Thanksgiving domination right now, yep, yep. and I'm going to go cranberry sauce. Oh, very nice. Because it has to be a part of the plate. Real cranberry sauce? Ocean spray, the one at the shit in the can. Can, can, can <laughs> shaped, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, can my shaped. wife's favorite is the can shaped cranberry yeah. sauce. She loves and then, that. And then on the way back down, cornbread. Yep. Cornbread. Ain't nothing wrong with that. And it's and that's a wrap, guys. Sorry. <laughs> now, savory cornbread, sweet cornbread? Um, Savory cornbread. Okay. Yeah, well, see, like, the, like you can just give me cornbread. You don't get they're the, both good. You don't, like, but you don't get to say pick cornbread I, now. You lost the cornbread. The way I'm I can't no, 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 no. I'm not going to pick cornbread. I'm asking okay. you what your favorite. Oh, okay. Is. I'm just making. I'm defending my draft here. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm asking I can't you what just your, be like shells, macaroni, and cheese. Yeah. Now. What, what got, is what is your favorite cornbread? Um, I like the the savory cornbread. Okay. Um, All right. But I like it when it has a little chunks of actual corn in it. Of course. Of course. Throw some jalapeno in there. You know, I'm always going to have savory really over talking. sweet. You know that about me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it, it is strange because, like, my wife prefers sweet. I prefer savory, but when, when I make it at home, I make it sweet because that's what she likes. Because you love your wife, yeah. I do. But if I had my druthers, it would be the savory, and then you just load it up the butter. And But I'd throw the jalapenos in there, too, because that's ooh, jalapeno cornbread. It's awesome. Scott, you are next. I'm going with creamed corn casserole. It is phenomenal. It's uh, great in this part of the world where sweet corn is prevalent. And uh, cranberry sauce looks nice on the plate. I've never touched it. I look at it. It looks pretty. Take the picture now. Move on. But not definitely not. Has to be on the plate. I am glad we're in the casserole zone because I am going with sweet potato casserole. And then I am following that with green bean casserole. Ah. Why have the healthy version when you can turn it into candy with the sweet potatoes? And then the the green bean casserole, again, why have a healthy dish when you can make it completely unhealthy? Yeah. Now, uh, where does gravy fit into this? 
I think uh, you get gravy because you have mashed potatoes. Yeah, okay. you get gravy there. Okay. I, I should have said we should have said that because yeah, you get the gravy with your mashed potatoes, but you could also pour it on your turkey. You could pour it on your your dressing slash stuffing, however you want to do that. But it's which yours, makes Scott. mashed potatoes probably the most versatile first round pick. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it could play both sides of the line of scrimmage. Um, <laughs> it's, it's Desmond. This sure. Deion Sanders. Yeah, it is Deion. It is the Deion Sanders of of uh, holiday dishes. Um, I'm going to go with cottage cheese, and I like uh, <laughs> what. I've never heard anybody eating cottage cheese on Thanksgiving in my entire what? life. What? This is amazing. Is that a normal? Is that a normal side dish? I'm not even joking. Yeah. Like oh yeah, for sure. I mean, Andy. Uh, yeah, I've never heard of this. Never. <laughs> okay, not even yeah. once. <laughs> hey. I mean, my next pick's going to be pizza, so you win. Okay. <laughs> my next pick's chips and salsa. No, no man. Okay. It's, 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 it's a staple. We've had it for, I think I've had it for all 48, 49 years I've ever had. Wow. Really? Nicole's going to yeah. be horrified Wait when a we second, tell her like, about this. At like other people's houses too, or is this a yeah. document tradition? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think most people's houses they've had it. So Is this, yeah. is that part of the country? Really? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I'm blown away that it's that disinteresting or, or similar. You know, I yeah, we we always have it. So I guess I I didn't think that it was so uh, wow. Out of very sorts. interesting. I'm fascinated now. I have so many questions. Like, does, <laughs> so is it is it just a like a plain lump of cottage cheese? You put it in a salad, like in a green salad, or? I put it on the side so it doesn't run everywhere. You know, okay. it's usually by the by the mashed potatoes and it just kind of sits there. Here's and- my problem with the cottage cheese. One, it's too healthy. Two, that really fills you up. Like if you want to kill your appetite, cottage cheese will do it. Well, my my fifth round pick will actually eliminate all of that. So oh, okay. I'm not gonna I'm gonna level with you, Scott. That's very bizarre. <laughs> I've never heard of this before. Are like, you're, I'm like- you're- Go ahead. <laughs> I love when sh- Ari calls somebody weird. That's that's the best part. <laughs> I'm not even saying Scott is weird. I'm saying that is bizarre. Like I've oh. never heard that before ever. It yeah. is. It, I I have never like. It is an oddly healthy choice on a decidedly unhealthy holiday. I've never heard of it being healthy. I'm just. It's just part of it for me. I don't know. Wow. That's, that's I strange. put up a poll and we've got 19 votes and 100 percent of the people have said no. So like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Damn. All right. You got your last. Your last two picks. Oh, it's my turn. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, I'm like, I'm like actually kind of shook. He's shook. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna take um, scalloped potatoes. Very nice. Good choice. And I'm trying to think about whether or not I should double down with the carbs. Um, but double down with the bread. Do it. Is doubling down with the bread like too fat of me? Not. You're talking to me. The other day I went to Texas Roadhouse and had 12 rolls and wished I'd had 20. But I'll be the only person that doesn't have greens on their side, on their plate. Who cares? It's Thanksgiving. Okay. Um I'm really oh. panicking right now because I want to win. You're you're doing very well. You have some some classics on your. I want it to plate. be like uh, okay. You know what I'm gonna do? Uh, I mean Scott 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 just did the Al Davis pick <laughs> like Darius yeah, I mean, Hayward Bay. What? Scott just got disqualified. I don't even know if he, we can vote. <laughs> hey, like Janikowski. At least I'm going to the Hall of Fame. Okay, <laughs> scallop potatoes and. The last pick is Pillsbury Crescent Rolls. Yes, I was wondering if somebody was going to go here. 
we we did that in my family for years and years and you just you know you you just keep putting pan after pan you crack those tubes you put p- so, pan here's after the pan thing. in the oven and you make a giant basket of them and I'll just grab a handful the reason why i had to take a second carb r- roll is because what i've created here is the perfect sandwich that you can oh. make which is the stuffing cranberry pillsbury roll sandwich as the leftovers now i wish i had gravy to put mm-hmm. on there i don't have gravy but if you have the turkey because everybody gets the turkey, yep. the cranberry sauce, and the stuffing with the crescent roll. Stuff it with all that. It's it's so it's let a me wrap. let me throw something out here because you just what you just described sounds amazing, and especially if you get to put the gravy on it too. I know it's amazing because I've had it. If you go to Pom Pom's Sandwicheria in Orlando, Florida, they have a Thanksgiving dinner sandwich, and it is exactly what you just described. All of that stuff and with gravy, it is amazing. Absolutely amazing. So you gotta you gotta read these these responses. I wrote is cottage, is cottage cheese a Thanksgiving side? Yes or no? There's 202 votes. 97.5 percent said no. Oh my God! Who who hurt you? <laughs> blocked, if you have cottage cheese and reported. <laughs> this is incredible. Laugh my ass off. What? Uh, no question mark. Definitely not. But I'm eating it if it's there. What? <laughs> Hell nah. What's wrong with you? This Apparently, I need to listen to today's pod to figure out what the hell this lunatic is talking about. <laughs> 97.5% I've at never. this point. <laughs> Damn, my taste buds are like, I was offense. But, this uh, is it. Well, all right, Scott, you got one more pick. Now, <laughs> now's your chance to, to redeem yourself. Oh, my God. I'm going to probably dig a bigger, bigger hole. Um, Do it. I'm going to go with black olives, baby. Those wow, are the other- not what, what I was expecting. <laughs> but... <laughs> As you're not messing with us? What are you no, doing? Olives. What are you doing? Are you you, a do you guys salad? put out a tray of cheese and olives and things that, to pick no. on before the dinner? Or no. we, this is at the dinner? Yeah, this is one of about fifteen things we have. I didn't know. I didn't know a specific name of a roll. I'd go with that. But so I, as a as a, a, a an avowed black olive lover, like I put black olives on my pizza. I think black mm-hmm. olives are tremendous, and I I love black olives as a you know hors d'oeuvre. Yeah have never had it in in Thanksgiving dinner proper. That's very interesting. Yes. So I have it usually right there with the cottage cheese and then, uh, you know, dressing slash stuffing and mashed potatoes and, uh, you know, our cream corn casserole and green bean casserole. All of it's right there. And that's just something I like like to have. So, you know, black olives. The other one I was going to throw out there in this one, I figured I would really get panned for is, is celery. And the reason why is it loosens up all the things around it so you can eat more. Well, and the celery also is a nice palate cleanser. That's another. So you sound like someone who, like your family has the components of the charcuterie board just out with the dinner. And I will say that that's something that in the last few family gatherings we've had, we've gotten real big into the charcuterie. And as, as one of our family friends calls it, Lunchables for adults, mm-hmm. uh, it is... It is great to have just a board of meat and cheese and olives just out to pick on before any big meal. I, I, I highly recommend it other than the fact that you tend to fill up before the big meal. But th- it, it sounds like you just have it as part of the dinner proper, which, again, I don't really have a problem with. Those are all things I like. I don't think there should be rules about when you can consume them. 
<laughs> well, I, I tell you, based on the cottage cheese pick, it's like somebody's going to have to report a murder or something on Twitter. I was just going to say, exactly. I think Jeffrey Dahmer finds this So I have one more weird. pick. I see a lot of the people in the comments putting this. Don't worry, I was headed there anyway. Pecan pie, of course. Mm-hmm. Or pecan pie, depending on where you're from. Yeah. So, but pecan pie with some ice cream, with some vanilla ice cream. Oh, there is not much better than that. I'm so hungry right now. <laughs> Honestly, like I am so you know those uh that scene in uh Waterboy when um when Adam Sandler's love interest comes over to his house and uh Vicky Valancourt. Mom, Vicky Valancourt, yeah, I forgot that <laughs> name. Uh Vicky Valancourt comes over to the house and um Kathy Bates, the mother uh mm-hmm. who hates foosball, is cooking and she just puts down charred alligators like on a <laughs> stick in front of them. Like that's what I kind of feel like it would be like to go eat Thanksgiving meal at Scott's house right now. Like, I'm I don't so, know. I'm like I, so I'm like a not offended. I am <laughs> like if I went there and I wasn't and I didn't and nobody gave me a heads up, I'd be like, what the f- what's going on here? <laughs> I am I am fascinated by this. Like you still have all the stuff we drafted watch, too, though, right? I want to watch yeah. everybody make their selections with all of this out there. I, I I feel like we could really psychoanalyze some people. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm saying it's bizarre. <laughs> what he's saying, Scott, is he thinks you're Jim Harbaugh weird. Oh, man, I I guess uh, my part of the country's got some different tastes. Man. Eclectic tastes here, but well, I was going to say if you if if you go if you go you know one state over from you, you're into chili and cinnamon roll territory. Yeah, which odd combination, delicious well, combination. I think we though. should keep running this back though, because like I almost took pecan pie mm-hmm. instead of Pillsbury crescent rolls, but I think if we ran it back one more round, I'd be able to put a put the the bow on what, this thing. What's the bow you want to put on? I would have. I'll, 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 I'll take cherry pick. pie or apple pie, one go. of the okay. two pies. That's that's good. I'm, I'm good pecan with fruit pie. How do you say it? What's the proper way? Is it pecan or pecan? It depends on where you're from. Like where okay. where I am originally from, like with my original accent, it would be pecan. That's okay. where, I've said pecan my whole life, and I don't like want to sound the, like an asshole. Even, even in the South, there's disagreement depending on where you were raised, okay. whether it's pecan or pecan. Like it, it's, it, it can be either one. Okay. Uh, that one's oh, not for wow. me. Wow. That, uh, that is a tremendous... Tremendous draft. I, I feel like I've learned a lot. And <laughs> from an anthropological standpoint, I am I now the, need to study the area around <laughs> Iowa City. This is a this is amazing. All right, everybody. Enjoy your cottage cheese on Thanksgiving. No, we, we're going to hear you're going to hear more from us before Thanksgiving. Uh, Tuesday night, we have the live reaction show. Don't have to wait for basketball to end. 7 p.m. Eastern time is when the playoff rankings reveal show starts. We're just going to start the same time. We'll all learn together who's ranked where. I think we have a pretty good idea that how that's going to go. And then, uh, and then we'll have the picks. We're going to put the picks out on Wednesday because we got the Egg Bowl Thursday night. We got tons of great Black Friday football. So we're going to get the pick show out as early as possible so we can cover all those games. And also so that Ari and I aren't recording on Thanksgiving Day while trying to eat our cottage cheese. We'll talk to you later. It's weird. It's weird. Ha, 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 ha.